Friday, December 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and welcome to another bonus episode. Just like the bonus episode we did in late September, this episode is really long and it has nothing to do with investing. So, by all means, uh, now is the time to pull the ripcord uh, if you're looking for sort of the usual business news and investing that we do on Market Foolery. And by the way, we'll we'll be back to that on Monday, but this is a bonus episode. Uh, we taped this yesterday afternoon, and I hope you enjoy it, because we had a lot of fun doing it. With me in the studio were Bill Barker from Motley Fool Asset Management. And last week, Bill had teased out who the other person joining us was going to be, and, and called this person an all-star. And he is that and more. He is one of the all-time great fools. Robert Brokamp, our retirement expert here at The Motley Fool. He is also the co-host of Motley Fool Answers. If you haven't checked out that weekly podcast, please do. So, apropos of nothing, here is our Holiday Edition bonus episode. Happy Holidays! Happy Holidays! Happy Holidays! Do I have to drink this? You don't no. have to. No, of course no. not. That's Everyone else is doing it though, so I feel like that's a great example. To all set. the older kids are doing it. Yeah. So therefore, are we the older kids? Uh, I think you're the oldest kid at this probably. Table. Probably. Well, I don't know. I'm 48. What are you? I'm the oldest kid. You're the oldest. Yeah. Oh. 50. And you're 50. Also over 50. Also. Over 50. <laughs> <laughs> but I are have we, are we actually running? Are we, are we in here, the show yeah. now? As far as you know. As far as I know. You're never going to find out. You'll, no. you'll find out when this gets published, because we'll, we'll just start this whenever. Lordy. We'll just start. Yeah, not, not your cup of tea. So <laughs> bringing my, bring my seed material there. <laughs> That's how I am with beer. Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't drink beer. Yeah. Um, what is this we're drinking? It is uh, Irish whiskey, Connemara Irish mm. whiskey. Okay. So, yeah. Merry nice. Christmas. <clears throat> Merry Christmas, indeed. Um, I want to save the music stuff for the end. All right, sounds good. Um, but uh, maybe we maybe we should start with holiday specials. <laughs> okay. Because I uh, was my annual tradition of at least three years of, of live tweeting Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, which uh, which was quite enjoyable. I I, I followed. Were along. you watching it in real time? I was. Oh wow! As well as watching your tweetery feed. Was anyone in your home watching with you? Like, oh, yeah. Like, Dad, why are you looking at your phone? That kind of thing? Uh, <laughs> no, but I did have to, well, sort of, I did have to explain that because it's, we do have a general rule in our house that if we're watching TV as a family, no phones. But I said I had to follow along. I didn't lose nearly as many, many followers <laughs> as I thought I was going to. Although I did, uh, Dan, you'll appreciate this, I did get a tweet from Morgan Housel, uh, Morgan Housel, who does not own a television. And so, really? yeah. So I'm I'm live tweeting Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and uh, uh, tagging everything with you know hashtag Rudolph. And then maybe 15 minutes in, and fortunately it was during a commercial break. Morgan Housel just tweets at me like, "What what are you doing?" It was, it was like, <laughs> "Are you okay? What what is going on?" You know, Chris, I didn't see that tweet that he tweeted to you. Why is that, Dan? That's because Morgan Housel has blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> really? Yes. Why? I would probably. I don't even know why, but uh, certainly because I'm just unfailingly rude to him on Twitter whenever <laughs> he tweets anything. I, I may now need to get from Morgan a list of people that he's blocked because I'm guessing it's not a very large list, and I just want to see who you're in company with. It's one of my greatest personal achievements. <laughs> so I, so I, I just responded to him. Um, I'm. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is on right now. You wouldn't understand it's a TV thing. So, but is it, but that's that's the one that I always look forward to in terms of the TV right. specials. There are movies that I love to watch with my kids, like Elf, and uh, and that sort of thing. But is that? Do you have one that you always look forward to? Because, oh, that that one for sure. Because it's aged so brilliantly. I would say the ones we always watch are that the Charlie Brown special, and uh, Heat Miser, Snow Miser. Those so, are the key ones. So the Charlie Brown one and Elf, I guess I should say the, Char the Charlie Brown Christmas hasn't aged well in the sense that there's not really a lot of action. There's a, there's a lot there's a lot of the time during that special where there's no talking, there's no action. It's just it's kind of slow. Whereas Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, that thing moves. But when when so the Charlie Brown special was sponsored by Coke, originally done by CBS. And when they saw the original, that was the concern. There was not enough action. And the two people who worked on it, along with 
Charles Schultz, Lee Mendelson, and his last name was Melendez. I can't remember his first name. When they watched it, they were like, oh my gosh, we just ruined Charlie Brown. Because they didn't <laughs> think it was a good job. They used kid actors. Yes. First time that was ever done in an animation. And no laugh track, which was also um, not done back then with cartoons. And the other thing that Charles Schultz insisted on was the biblical thing, Linus's little speech, which they originally said, you can't do that on TV, but he insisted on it. But one of the concerns was that it was very slow, and they were all very surprised that it was as successful as it was. Well, and wasn't A Charlie Brown Christmas so successful that then the network came back to him and, and came back to Schultz and, and basically said, how much money do you want to do another holiday? Because like, I think that's how It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown came about, isn't it? Well, and I think that uh, the next line would have been, you know, how much money would you like? And they would have said, we're willing to go $10,000. Because <laughs> it was the 60s. <laughs> we'll triple what you think we're ever going to go up to. How about $12,000? <laughs> you know, Forbes puts out a list every year of the top earning dead celebrities. And Charles Schultz is still. Wait, what? Top earning dead celebrities like Elvis, Jimi Hendrix, folks like that. Charles Schultz is still among the top ten. Jimi Hendrix, did Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix places that high? Yeah, because of his. Uh, Come no. on, John Lennon's got to be. John Lennon's up there. Bob Marley, because of some Bob, there's like some Bob Marley drink or something like that that still makes a lot of money. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Betty Page is on the top ten this year or two years ago. The pinup from the fifties. Monroe, presumably. Monroe is up there. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get back to Rudolph? Sure, absolutely. That's really, uh, I don't think we've really fully covered this one yet. No, not at all. Uh, did it live up to your expectations this year? It always does. Yeah. It always does. Just the when it, when I say it's aged well, uh, I don't mean that in the way that I think maybe the creators of the show <laughs> would hope that I would mean it. I just mean that it's become so watchable to me now because of the unintentional comedy. As as a source of mockery, you mean it's aged well? Yes. Well, so. given how just overtly racist Santa and you know Santa is, and, and what, Rudolph's father, and, and what terrible parents <laughs> the the male deer appear to be. Like Comet might be the worst coach in the history of televised sports, and and Donner, who's Rudolph's dad, is just just so terrible. Well, and then there's the head elf and the way they treat Hermie. Yeah, yeah. But, How about uh, the fact that they have elf practice? What kind of corporate culture is that at the North Pole, where it's like, all right, you got to? I mean, imagine that today in any company. It's just like, well, Robert, I'm sorry, it's time for human practice. Like, well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're elves. Why do we have to practice being elves? So my my daughter, youngest daughter, took a little time out from uh, homework. The other night, uh, while you were live tweeting, and she was fascinated with what you were up to, uh, and reminded me of uh, the first thing that she said when she met you, uh, which was, "Why do you hate Clarice?" Was that the first thing she said? That's how she remembers. Yeah, it. I like Clarice. Everybody likes Clarice. I don't, yeah. How can you not like Dan? I, I don't know if like but if I wasn't very lucky today, was I? <laughs> oh, it's set up. I wish. <laughs> I, I wish I had that ready to go. I, I just so want, funny. I just want to say she's bringing up very relevant points. And she stood by the guy. There is always tomorrow, Chris. What do you why why do you hate the reindeer next door type that Clarice perfectly uh, captures? I, I can't I can't put my finger on it. I can't quite express why. I just know that e ever since I was a kid, I was like, boy, she is annoying. <laughs> she just bugs me. <laughs> I think we've probably damaged your eardrums enough with uh, Clarice's rendition the Clarice. there. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. pretty funny. Absolutely. So I, you know, because we do research for this. Yeah, uh, I was looking much up, more than we do for the average episode of Market Foolery, by the way. So, have you ever read the original uh, poem, Rudolph? No. By Robert May. Yeah, have you read it? I, I haven't. I know a lot about him and how it was created, but I don't think I've ever actually read the original. So here's Wait, the plot. Can we pause that for a second? You know a lot about him, but you haven't. Like, what else has he done? That well, it was kind of a sad story because uh, so the original. It was back in the 30s, and he worked for Montgomery Ward. And he was writing copy for like their catalogs. And Montgomery Ward used to give out a Christmas book every year. And they decided, instead of paying someone to do it, let's hire someone in-house to do it. He, at the time, 
was feeling kind of frustrated because he wanted to write the great American novel, but instead he was writing copy, you know, descriptions about shirts. And his wife had cancer, living in Chicago. So he was just feeling, there's, I read an article about how he, that he wrote about the founding of it. And he basically said to himself, I'm going to, that's it, I'm bound to be a loser in life. And then he was, said, hey, can you write this story, a Christmas story? And his daughter loved, four-year-old daughter loved the deer at the Chicago Zoo. So that's how he decided to choose a deer. One of his original ideas, he was walking home one night and it was dark and foggy, couldn't see the lights. So that's where the whole like light idea came from. And one of his original ideas was that Rudolph would have bright headlight eyeballs, but then chose the bright nose, which at first was somewhat controversial because of red nose is also associated with alcoholism. So they were wondering if that would work or not. But after he, he got his friend to do some illustrations, which convinced the higher ups to go with the idea. And then went with the red But nose. really better to go with that than the satanic possession idea that comes through <laughs> with glowing eyes. That's right? unless, unless they were lasers. So, Laser eyes. It was early. Early to go lasers in the 1930s. That's true. So I, I read it, and the plot is significantly different. Very different. Uh, from the, so you've got the cartoon, or, which is based on the Clay, song. Technically claymation. And, uh, well, typically stop animation, not clay. Okay. Uh, it's more puppets okay. than uh, clay. It's not like Gumby. Right. Okay. Yeah, good point. And so the song is based on the poem. And the poem in it, the plot is, uh, Rudolph is just this normal reindeer. He's not mixed in with the, you know, the big name reindeer of, of Santa's sleigh. And uh, it's a foggy night, and Santa's out there, Christmas, delivering presents. And uh, then the lights start going out around the world, and he's, he's just operating in complete darkness. And he gets to Rudolph's house. Rudolph's house, you say? Why is the reindeer right. living in a house? This is what is going, this is the, the narrative. Rudolph is asleep in his own house, as he should be, because he's a good boy. Where does, where does he live? In a house. It's in the reindeer village, right? I think I read about a little bit about this. He's just in his house waiting yeah. for Santa to deliver him presents because apparently Santa also has that on his list to deliver <laughs> presents to reindeer who sleep in beds under covers in the house. So Santa's like stumbling around the house and he's like banged up his knee. Uh, literally, that's like what was skinned his knee. Um, the whole thing is in a rhyming couplet thing. It's, it's very like Dr. Seuss or Twas the Night Before Christmas rhythm. And gets into Rudolph's room, and R Rudolph's nose is glowing. And so he wakes up Rudolph and is like, hey, how about, how about helping me out here? And Rudolph's like, totally up for it. So Rudolph has gone through a certain amount of harassment from other reindeer, uh, the other kids. Uh, that's, that is mentioned earlier. But Rudolph's not mixed in with Vixen and Blitzen and all that. So here's what is true, uh, what, what carries over from the poem, which I, I didn't know any of this. So what carries over from the poem to the TV special is Santa's opportunism. That Santa is just completely against Rudolph. He's an outcast. He looks different. You should be ashamed of yourself for having a kid like that until all of a sudden, it's a stormy night. Oh, hey, you know what? That thing I've been mocking for the entire show and your entire life, I think I can put you to use for my own benefit. I think Santa comes off a lot better in the original poem because he does not come off well. <laughs> no, in, in no, the special. not at all. No, I think they're just uh, Rudolph's willing to help him out, and Santa's got got a need, and so it's you know there's nothing supposedly dangerous about flying a sleigh in Santa's mind. I right. guess. I mean, it's all upside. Yeah, it, you know. So I, I think it's it's a little bit more heartwarming than uh, there's no abominable snowman or anything like that. It's no monster. It's no monster. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now toothless because Hermie, who's been picked on the whole, Hermie the elf, been picked on throughout the whole show, and you know, and 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 pleasant and trying to be upbeat and all that sort of thing. Uh, it turns out Hermie has a sadistic side to him because when push comes to shove, he has no problem just. <laughs> Methodically removing every single tooth from the monster's mouth. <laughs> Do you feel like if you were going to be a dentist, you kind of have to have a little bit of that? Not necessarily sadistic, but but you have to be willing to inflict pain, even if it's for the greater good. You have to have I, a certain amount. Of, I, I don't. I don't think you're setting out to. <laughs> I mean, certainly <laughs> Steve Martin. And, uh, I was just going to say, certainly uh, the way dentists are portrayed in movies. I mean, they're they're not. 
there's no kindly dentist next door in a movie that I can think of. Like the prominent dentists in movies are Steve Martin in Little Shop of Horrors, yeah. Laurence Olivier in Marathon Man, and uh, that's that's pretty much and it. Hermie the Elf. Uh, so I think that uh, you know mostly you've described what who the, the people in the show who are in your minds villains in one way or another. Hermie. Santa Claus. Hermie's not a villain, but he's just got that dark side to him. Uh, Donner, you know, Donner, the coach, Clarice. You hate the, that. The, really, the when elf. it gets right down to it, the only one you like is Yukon Cornelius. I love Yukon. Love Yukon Cornelius. <laughs> I would watch a. I would watch a spinoff show on Yukon Cornelius in a heartbeat. I think it'd be successful. Give what's me, the What's the premise? It's live action. So, and the, who's, who's starring in this? Uh, so you got the uh, the Disney Corp is is doing the spin-off Star Wars movie so they did the Force Awakens not the Force Awakens uh, that's the one that's coming Rogue, up. They, Rogue One and they've got the Han Solo movie that's coming. So I I think the first season just the first season because there's I, I'm thinking like they could go five or six seasons. Oh, this is like a Netflix or an Amazon thing. A Netflix, not, this is not a movie. This is a No. I mean, it could be, but I would just want more sequels. Why restrict it? Why restrict it? There's a whole season. So in season one, season one is like young Yukon Cornelius. We basically season one ends with him meeting Hermie and Rudolph. So we see how he makes his money, how he collected the dogs. Um, he's <laughs> the, the purple poodle why, that is pulling his sled. Um, why he's searching for a peppermint mine? That's right. Uh, little known. That's right. Well, he's it's little known peppermint. because it's not the the logic, if there is any, is not introduced in the version of Rudolph, which airs now. Right. The, the scene where he, for those that are as obsessed with this uh, show as the three of us seem. No, nope, nobody's listening at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Even people are like, I'm really looking forward to the bonus episode. They're like, Oh no, God! No, we we're going to move to something interesting immediately after this. But uh, so he he throws his pickaxe in the air and it lands, and then he licks it. And you say, Why is he doing that? And there's no explanation in the version of Rudolph that is shown today. But at the in the original version, he's not only looking for gold and silver, but also peppermint, which I I don't know exactly. How good you've always supported him as an interesting, you know, business uh, type, <laughs> uh, and you're impressed with him. But he's looking for peppermint mines. He's a, he's also looking for gold and silver. He's diversified. We celebrate that, <laughs> business leaders. The, the other thing you can about, have one crazy plan as long as you have two solid ones. Look, that's all good. If we're going to celebrate Google, well, maybe the, the first season about why he's looking for a peppermint mine. I Isn't mean, that more interesting? Than, it could be. It could be, but then by the end of season two, he's got to meet Hermie and Rudolph. The other thing that I want to see in the in season one of the Yukon Cornelius origin uh, series is uh, he's got to use that gun a couple of times because I noticed that, and and maybe this might be the first year I've noticed it is that I don't remember seeing him packing any heat until he and Hermie go up to the cave uh, where the abominable snow monster is, and all of a sudden he's got that gun. So maybe Hermie ripping out the monster's teeth was was better because maybe when they're huddling and we don't see this scene, but maybe when they're huddling, Yukon <laughs> pulls out the gun and Hermie's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you?" It's like I'm gonna shoot that damn thing. Are you kidding? It's gonna, it's gonna eat our friends. I'm gonna shoot it. And Hermie's like, "Look, let's instead you just fall off a cliff with I'll, him. I'll distract him. <laughs> you knock him out. I'll remove his teeth. Boom. End of story. That could work. That could work." Um, you wanted to get to Brokamp's uh, comedy influences. For anyone who listened to the first uh, bonus episode of Market Flurry, where, where, where you and I and Roger Friedman talked about comedy influences, you were curious about Robert Brokamp's. Yeah, we talked about it in the context of uh, who would be on the Mount Rushmore. And I can't remember exactly who was on your Mount Rushmore. Well, uh, all three of us, you, me, and Roger, we all had David Letterman and yes. Monty Python. Uh, no, we? Roger did not have Monty Python. Oh, okay. He disputed that we were allowed to put a group in there. Well, and now uh, listeners uh, are getting an inkling as to why Roger's not back for <laughs> the second bonus episode. <laughs> um, uh, I had Bill Cosby uh, and uh, Bob Newhart as well. That's right. I had uh, I had Letterman, uh, Monty Python, Seinfeld, and uh, because I, I and this was uh, I think in Barker's mind cheating. Uh, I went with my dad. You also uh, had Richard Pryor. I had Richard Pryor. You had I, Richard Pryor slash Monty Python right. as one pick. Right. 
that's quite a quite a combo. That's quite that, that's <laughs> one of the most interesting mashups of all time. <laughs> that's that's really cheap. Now, granted, I would like to have seen prior work with uh, Monty Python. That would have been that good. would have been great, but it <laughs> yeah. only happened in your dreams, exactly, and, and on the last show. Uh, what so, about you? Uh, so, first of all, I'd like to point out that I once spent an Easter at the foot of Mount Marsmore back when I was studying to be a priest. Because one of my, I was at a seminary. One of those two facts is more interesting than the other. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna unpack both those in just a second. But go on. So when I was a seminary and studying to be a priest, the seminary was in Minnesota, and the diocese in which Mount Rushmore resides sent their seminarians to the same seminary. So one of my friends, his dad was being one of the caretakers at Mount Rushmore, and I spent my Easter with him. What he basically makes sure that Mount Rushmore's clean and stuff, but one of the things I seem to remember is like 30 years ago him talking about was they have to be very careful about how water runs off of Mount Rushmore so it doesn't get eroded. So one of his jobs is when it's raining to go up there and see where the water's going. Really? Yes. And he has a cabin at the foot of Mount Rushmore. So he spent that Easter going to church as good seminarians and then shooting guns in the woods. But as for my Mount Rushmore of comedy, I also went with Monty Python. Uh, actually, when I thought about it, they all had some sort of musical thing. And when I think of all, all four of people, yours. All four of mine. Okay. So you have Monty Python with all their hilarious songs. Have you, have, you, have you seen the play? I have not. Spamalot? Spamalot, yeah. Yeah, I have not. Uh, you should. Up, oh, well, I know I should. <laughs> I, and I will do that one of these days. Next, uh, let me uh, just uh, divert for a minute. Uh, so it came to, and it comes every once in a while to the National Theater in, in D.C. And right now playing is Mean Girls, which is on its way to Broadway. And... One of the things you can do at the National Theater is, and you know, so it's like three, four hundred bucks a ticket uh, in the orchestra section. But they also have a lottery for the front row, the very front row of the theater, twenty seats, and you show up two hours before time, put your name in, and then ninety minutes before the show, they draw the names, and, and you get a ticket for twenty-five bucks if you win. Holy so, cow! Uh, it's around for like another four or five days, uh, and you can you can try to see it that way. Uh, so we we saw it. And next time Spamalot comes around, might have a shot at 25. I mean, if you're willing to keep going through the opportunity of maybe winning, maybe losing. Anyway. Monty Python. Monty, Monty Python. Python. Briefly mentioned in your episode, Tom Lear. Yes. political satirist. Very relatively short career. Wrote less than 40 songs, but hilarious. And quite racy for the day. And for me, growing up, in a very Catholic childhood with a very strict mother, for some reason, she thought Tom Lear was hilarious, despite the songs like I Got It From Agnes, which was about VD, yes. and Be Prepared, which was about making sure you have a contraceptive. And Smut. And Smut, which the is Vatican about, rag. Which, which is about uh, Smut, which is about the, uh, the Supreme Court ruling yes. uh, uh, around pornography. Yes. Yep. You, it sounds like you and I had similar upbringings, oh, yeah. albeit at opposite ends of, of the East Coast of the yes. United States. Smart dude. Tom Lear goes to Harvard at age 15, teaches at Harvard at MIT, and then eventually... Mathematician, right? Teaches math, as he called it, math for tenors, out in California, <laughs> uh, and then just stopped in like 1970. Just was like, I'm tired of being a performer, and pretty much stopped. wrote songs for the electric company, and then that yeah. was done. Uh, similar vein, later time, Weird Al... A uh, huge Weird Al fan growing up. I have all his albums, seen him in concert, met him once, nice guy, also smart. So, so in saying he's an influence, uh, would you say that your your comedy reflects Weird Al, or just like you like Weird Al and you like putting him on? Because I think it's a slightly different question. Well, see, the, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the whole influence thing, because it implies that I'm funny, and I'm not really funny. I'm just kind of goofy that some people find funny No, you're sometimes. funny. Well, thank you. But I think Weird Al's just, he's so goofy. He's so goofy. Um, he, you know, he skipped two grades and was his high school valedictorian. I did not know that, but that actually doesn't surprise me because as goofy as Weird Al is, and I, 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 I'm a fan as well. And in fact, my son this year for Halloween was weird. He no, dressed no, up so as, that, as Weird Al. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, wow, I would uh, not have thought that that had traction nowadays. He, got, he didn't get his first Grammy until like five years ago or yeah. something like that. His um, does he now have more than one? Uh, I don't know, but you know, he was recently named to the Hollywood. He got a star in the Hollywood yeah. Walk of Fame, yeah. and he was named the same day as Lin Manuel Miranda. And ironically, they were having lunch at the same time. Larry David comes up to them and says, "By the way, you both got a star." And I, I, I heard an interview with uh, Weird Al Yankovic recently, and he talked about 
Lin-Manuel Miranda, creator of Hamilton. Friend of the Fool, uh, by the way. He's been here. He's been here. And, um, and he was like so thrilled that uh, Lin-Manuel was a fan of his. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of a mutual adoration society. Uh, but, but yes, he's goofy. But also, if you listen to the lyrics of some of his, some of his songs, they're incredibly complex and very intelligent. Yeah, smart guy. Well, most comedians are. But they pretty, have some I have mean, pretty lowbrow humor to some degree, depending uh, on who it is. Boy, not the ones that uh, that I enjoy the most. I guess you know. I, I, I'm sure that all of them have uh, either no, achieved but, or could have achieved pretty right. high levels. Who's fourth? Fourth is Steve Martin. Uh, I, and I swear this happened, although I have not been able to find it. The first time I ever saw Steve Martin was I was a kid. He had a TV special. He rang a doorbell, someone opened the door, and he had a fern coming out of his nose and said, Hi, would you like to learn how to grow a fern out of your nose? And I was hooked from that point on. <laughs> <laughs> and the, like, the, you know, the King Tut and Grandmother Song, if you don't know the Grandmother Song, it's just so freaking hilarious. We, it talked about Steve Martin, but I think at least Roger and I couldn't really find his influence in you know our attempted comedy. I agree that, that saying this is a comedic influence implies that, oh, I think people should consider me funny is more sort of the attempts at humor, uh, yeah. which I don't think that I can quite pattern Steve Martin. So, what's interesting about those last three people, we'll put Monty Python aside for a second, but in, in Tom Lehrer, you have someone who is very successful and popular with his comedy albums, and then he just decides, I'm done with this. Yeah. Um, same with Steve Martin. Steve Martin is the biggest. Steve Martin was selling out arenas, and just decided, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I, I want to focus on my right. I want to write. I want to be in movies. That's banjo. He got. A, he's, he works now mostly on his banjo. He got a Grammy for his banjo playing relatively yeah. recently. Um, and and in the case of Weird Al, the 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 longevity. It's not that he walked away. It's that he stuck with the same thing. Like you you could. That's true. Yeah. The, the fact that he just. Did parody songs, and he's been doing it for four decades, and just decided, no, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do, and uh, and I loved him when I was a kid, and and now my kid loves him, and yeah. it, it, that, that's really impressive to sort of stick with that because you have to believe there's a fair amount of ridicule along the way <laughs> for for someone who looks looks like Weird Al and just, and he's playing the accordion and yeah. all that sort of thing. But um, yeah, um, what's what I've had to do with my son is. Um, Use the Weird Al songs as a way to introduce him to actual songs. Like just saying, well, this is a parody, and this is the song that it's a parody of. Like, I Love Rocky Road is a parody of Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll. So every once in a while, we'll be in the car and a song will come on the radio. He'll be like, oh, is it? Oh, this is this is not the Weird Al song. This is actually <laughs> the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah. Why is that person singing Weird Al song? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who was the one? Who was the one artist that uh, would never let Weird Al parody him? Uh, oh gosh, I don't know because I I do know he is very much a stickler for like getting the permission yes, he of gets people. Permission. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to offend anyone, so he always gets permission. I don't know. Prince Prince never. Would I let can him absolutely that. see that about yep. Prince. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, so a couple of other holiday items. Uh, first, it is closing in on the uh, 20th anniversary of the first time uh, that we corresponded in any way. Did you know that? I did not know that. You remember what it was? Uh, clearly, I don't. No. <laughs> so it would have been 1997, and there was a philanthropy drive, and uh, I can't remember what the charity was or choice charities were. I think at that time there was just maybe one. And and I contributed to. It. I was not yet working for the Motley Fool, but was uh, very interested in doing so. And um, in my own twisted logic, probably thought that uh, contributing to philanthropy would, in some small way or hopefully large way, help me achieve that. Uh, and so I uh, did this online. And things were all a little bit more rudimentary back then as to how you would get confirmation of anything. And so, I didn't receive any confirmation that this had been achieved, because I think it was directly to the fool or something, and then it was distributed. Or, I don't know, maybe just consumed at a party. Who knows? (laughs) And and anyway, it fell on you, because it was a small company then, and everybody had 12 jobs. I don't know if you want to reflect on how many different things you were 
up to back in 1997 when there were probably about 60 people or something. At that, uh, not even that many. At that point in, in, in December of 97, there were probably, I mean, I joined late spring of 97 and there were about somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 people. So I would say by December we might have had fifty or so, maybe hmm. a little bit, maybe a little bit more than that, but but not much. And yeah, it was everybody. We were on the we were in the office on Pitt Street, North Pitt Street, and uh, yeah, it, everything was. It, it, there was a little Wild West <laughs> atmosphere to to the business at that point because it was sort of like stuff would come in. It's like, well, we don't have someone who does that one specific thing, so. Who wants to do it? So, so, what was great about that was you had the opportunity to do a lot of different things and say, well, I'm interested in that and I think I could help with that so I can help with that project. And, and then, but what ended up happening was eventually, if you were good at helping out, then you became responsible for it. And that's how you ended up with four or five jobs. Yeah. So, I, I think I had left a couple of messages about uh, just inquiring whether I had actually achieved what I was trying to do. And, and you, uh, called back. We didn't talk. I think it was a, there was a message on my answering. Well, I actually called you. Are you HR you? or something like that? No, no. I don't. I have no memory of. Did this. you start as PR? Yeah, I was. Okay. The head, I was the head of yeah. uh, media relations and PR. Um, wow. So I called you. I didn't email you. I think you called. Wow. That was the kind of guy you were back then. <laughs> back then, you yes. would pick up a phone now and do a anymore. landline call. We pro- I mean, you probably actually had. I remember when I came to Fold ninety nine, we had actual phones at our desks. Yes. No more. Not anymore. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, so that memory really doesn't stand out to you quite the way it does to me. <laughs> not at all. Saying. It's just. It really it's doesn't. Just, I'm sorry. It's sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was so hoping that would be something you'd filed away. Like, who is this guy leaving? Oh my God! I got call. He wants a personal thank you. Were you working? <laughs> Maybe you said this already. Were you working as a lawyer then? I was. Yeah. Yeah. Which would you know qualify as interesting in this context, if not for your previous story? I mean, you've got to. Yeah, us can all. we go I mean, back to the? So you're studying to be a priest. Yeah. And what? At what point do you say to yourself, "This is not my vocation. This is not my calling in life. I need to do something else." Uh, well, that that it, it went on for a while. I mean, I was only one year at the at the seminary in Minnesota, and then I transferred to Catholic University of America here in Washington, which is how I ended up in this area. Grew but, up in Tampa. Grew up in Tampa, but planning to eventually possibly enter the seminary at Catholic U. But in the meantime, hedging my bets by being an English pre-med major. Uh, Wait, a wh- what? English pre-med. So I double majored. So I took all the English classes and then all the pre-med classes, the physics, chemistry, organic chemistry, calculus, and all that stuff. So... Wait a minute. So you you're, you're you've you're you, took, a, you're you took all the English classes. I took because that's English. a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Every single one of them. Oh, man. So you're at a table at Vegas, you and you've smart. you've got your chips, and you're like, I'm going to put some of my chips on the priesthood. I'm going to put some of my chips on literature and English, and someone being a doctor. Yes. And, and how well, how from why there? Why not? If you don't know exactly what you're going to do, and then you came to the Molly Fool as an editor. I did, because I had been an English major and a financial advisor. I was a financial advisor right before I came to The Fool. Are you someone who, are you one of those people who only sleeps three or four hours a night and you're like, uh, sort of, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember okay. that reading about the lifestyle of John Gruden, you know, then the coach of the Tampa Bay Bucs. Oh, you two know. And you said, I want to be more like John Gruden? No, well, just that he <laughs> only sleeps three or four hours. Okay. I'm like, I understand that. In guy. most respects, I don't think of you as being patterned after John Gruden. No, not too much. He's an intense guy. So you, I like John Gruden. He's a good looking he, he guy. He was uh, contributed to the Eagles before. That's right. You know, That's being right. in Tampa. So you, Oakland. so you get to Catholic. You're you're taking pre med. You're taking all, apparently all of the English classes, <laughs> and then what? All the required English classes. So then I decide I don't know if I want to go to medical school exactly. Still toying with the priesthood to a certain degree. Um, <laughs> and but so that I also want to do some sort of volunteer work, which you can't do once you go to med school. You're all in at that point. So I joined the Teacher Service Corps through the Archdiocese of Washington to teach at an inner city school. The inner city school they sent me to was in Georgetown, so not all that inner city. Right. But I taught for five years, and then that's where I met my wife Elizabeth, who is the counselor at Holy Trinity. 
And that pretty much was when I decided celibacy is not for me. I'm not going to be a priest. At that point, my friends went to med school were pretty miserable. My sister went into med school. She was pretty miserable. Your dad's a doctor, right, Bill? So I don't know. Yep. He's had a good life. But I feel like it's one of those things like my sister always knew she wanted to be a doctor. So that works. As you can tell from my life story, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to right. do. Right. So, and then I, so I went from being a teacher to then finding out about The Motley Fool while I was a teacher and not having any money. So I started learning about finances, took a job at Prudential Securities for a couple of years, a financial advisor, still followed The Fool. And then when The Fool said, we need an editor, I'm like, hey, I'm a financial advisor and a former English teacher. Hire me. And it worked. So were you hired before Elizabeth? Because there was a point in time when both you and Elizabeth were yes, full-time I was, here. I, I worked here for almost, maybe almost a year before she was hired. Not quite a year. Yep, She was hired to be Assistant Bogey's assistant. This is this is insider baseball here, but we had a guy totally dedicated at that point to the community, the discussion boards. That was Bogey's job, and she was his assistant. And then she did usability in terms of you know how people use the site and how we design the site. Not to like get that. overly personal, but uh, that ship is sales. Uh, where, was there any <laughs> asking him why he dropped out of the priesthood? And now, like, where, <laughs> it seems to me like that would have been um, a kind of a personal question, but. Apparently not to you Catholics, I guess. <laughs> we, we speak the same language. Um, so, it, it, was there any discussion with Elizabeth about, like, hey, here's this opportunity where I work, or maybe the two of us working in the same place is not a great idea? Was there any of that? Or was it just like, no? No, because as you guys remember from the late 90s, being involved with The Motley Fool was guaranteed path to riches. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Any dot com, but particularly the Motley Fool. And it was so exciting. And it's still a great place to work, but it was so exciting. So to be able to be a part of that, because up until before that she was working at the United Way, which is a fine organization, but it was pretty boring and, and stayed. So she was very happy to work at the Motley Fool. That's good. Yeah. But then I, she went back to being a counselor. I, I represented the United Way once. Oh did you? As a lawyer just to and were they boring? Are, are, are boring. you allowed to share details? Like, do we want to know the details of that case? Did you uh, win? I guess no, is my main I, question. It, Did it, you it, win? <laughs> it's not worth going into. Okay. It was it was about a, a small small scale scandal, although uh, it was uh, in the press at the time. You, so it couldn't possibly be interesting to introduce it that way, could it? Did you have any any situation where like it's the classic scene? You're walking with your client, reporters are rushing up the stairs. You're like, my client has no statement. Is that like one of those? Or? It was more like when you're a first or second year associate and you're six levels removed from <laughs> from that particular from that <laughs> camera uh, work. Yeah, no, I. I uh, I didn't have. I wasn't on that one for very long. Um, I got a couple of other holiday-related questions Go for, for you. Do you have anything? No, 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 no. I mean, I do, but not, nothing urgent. So go for it. So it, it's more about I like sort of deconstructing your show, whether you like it or not. Oh, okay, um, good. But <laughs> so it's the Christmas season, and for those that want to want to thank you in any way, like oh. what is it? I'm not saying people should, but like last time we did one of these, I sort of. Introduced the idea that anybody that wanted to write into you uh, should do so, and you would write back to them in a way that that sort of presented that as this would be creating a painful thing for for Chris to respond to, which is actually totally unfair, I think, because uh, among the things that you probably appreciate is getting a thoughtful email, not not just something where somebody says, please respond to me because your guest said that I should torture you with with a, an inane email, and now you have got the obligation to respond to it. I did get one of those, though. I, yeah. I, I got one from a guy, and then, I, and then a follow-up email, and I responded to the follow-up, and uh, he was like, oh, I was wondering about that, because uh, I had responded, because Bill had said that, and I just, what I couldn't figure out was, uh, did Bill over-promise, or, or did you under-deliver? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a little bit of both. It was really a little bit of both. But in terms of like ranking, like what you appreciate in terms of feedback, uh, whether it's a, a constructive criticism or somebody putting a a, a kind review on uh, iTunes or something, or tweeting or retweeting or the, the Facebook. Uh, or or the Facebook the Facebook page that uh, yeah. your uh, show has or is it all the shows? It's Motley all Pool that. podcast. Yeah. That's, that's all. a all of us are there. Thing. 
Twitter is just uh, is specific shows have their own um, Twitter accounts. So, you know, where where do you rank all those uh, in terms of what what you most appreciate? Money, money is number one. <laughs> money. Well, yeah, I mean, people do send you coffee and booze. They do as send well. stuff. Yes. Yes, that's very nice. Uh, would you nice. rather have that, or, or you know, a constructive criticism on on your show, or, or, or like uh, as I think may have been the best thing of the year that you received was that um, email about Wawa from the. Uh, do you remember that? Oh yeah. That you read out loud, and yeah. uh, I'm not sure if you ever posted it. You should because. Uh, Somebody and he was in the U.S. Air Force. I think, I think so. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Phenomenal email. I mean, a very thought. It wasn't thanking you for the show. It was actually saying, going into not only how great Wawa is and how deficient I had been in singing Wawa's praises, despite the fact that I had been singing them, yeah. uh, and then just uh, sort of laying into everybody that had advocated for any other convenience store as being in the same league or better, <laughs> and, and just right. individually taking out the Midwest and Texas and and huge chunks of the country yeah. with his sarcasm. It was just a great yeah. email. It was a brilliantly written email that laid waste to everyone and everything. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. Um, in, in all seriousness, uh, joking about money and coffee and booze aside, in all seriousness, the, the greatest uh, feedback is from people who share uh, just sort of how and where they listen. Because I've always, and I say this every year, because I do, I do a, a solo episode at the end of the year for Market Foolery, and I, and I say this every year, and it's true. Which is, the we never take for granted. People can listen to anything. Yeah. They can listen to anything. They've, they're not listening to this anymore. They've dropped off because we're now like well over the forty-minute mark, I think. Oh, yeah. This one's being edited, though, right? Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, um, so the so people can listen to anything, and the fact that they take time out of their day to listen to any of the Motley Fool podcasts is just like because so, people people have different levels of money but everybody's got the exact same amount of time except for Brokamp who doesn't sleep so he's got slightly more time than you and me it's but it's baffling and gratifying yes, that anybody it's takes wonderful. the time it's just so wonderful and and everywhere you know, people literally around the world. Yeah, it is. It is quite amazing. From Sweden, from Sweden, we, from, Sweden last from Sweden. When I butchered the name of the second largest city in Sweden <laughs> and got some very helpful, polite emails and tweets from people in Sweden saying, "Wow, you're right. You really did botch that name." It, it was, and and ironically, it was the one city in Sweden that has two names: one for natives of Sweden and one for. Uh, dopey foreigners like me, and it's essentially like, don't try and pronounce it. This is how we pronounce it in Sweden for you, Americans, and everyone else. Here's, just go with this. I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you for a second because this is a show about tangents and allow yeah. you to collect even more thoughts about how to thank all of your listeners right. for whatever you're about to thank them for. Okay. And so I was last night at a uh, thing at my kid's school uh, about recruiting. Um, NCA recruiting of athletes and the college process. And one of the things that came up was they had a selection of coaches there talking about their individual sports and, and uh, colleges and how things are done. And one of them was talking about uh, the entitlement of uh, some athletes and kids and families going to college and thinking that they should have a place on the team and you know should be getting a certain amount of time or you know whatever and comparing it to, the attractive uh, results that he had had uh, with uh, sort of all international athletes, and why it was uh, why he liked having international athletes, and, and specified Sweden as every Swedish athlete he'd ever had 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 a 4.0, and was you know worked harder than than everybody else, and was more mature when they came here, and uh, never got into any trouble. And it just couldn't couldn't get enough of, of them. So that's not really by way of trying to the ongoing apologies to Sweden. Right. Um, but you, so I was in this audience of American parents who I could feel if they were feeling the same thing that I was at that moment, deflated about, oh my God, we're we're so pathetic compared to. Uh, and you know, one of the reasons is that the foreigners that come over here uh, and get spots on teams are. 
especially when they're coming not just from Sweden, but from places with fewer economic opportunities than Sweden has. Like Their plan A is to get to America and succeed and never have to go back. And there is no plan B. So, they, they will do whatever the coach wants, and they don't feel entitled to something that they, they don't earn. So, um, that's, that's just something that stuck with me from last night. And, uh, Talk to my kids about stop being, be stop feeling so in, uh, entitled to everything. <laughs> Go out and start earning some money now, exactly, so that your coach will like you someday. So, uh, one of the things uh, that I'm assuming is true about Sweden is um, is that there is a, a very heavy adoption of podcast listenership because. Sweden, if you're rank ordering countries around the world in terms of population, Sweden is 90th in the world in population. In terms of listenership to Motley Fool podcasts across all of our podcasts, Sweden is sixth. Huh. So there's a lot of people in Sweden who are listening, not just to podcasts, but the U.S. financial podcast. There are only dozens of listeners, though. Right. So it only takes like one to <laughs> I mean, two. I think it's, two? Like, it's like two or three. To get to, yeah, okay. Yeah, but it's, yeah. Uh, it, it's up there. So, uh, to return to the, the listeners. To I return like, to your question like, that you're not going to drop? Uh, yeah, I, like, because I've thought about in terms of uh, podcasts that I like listening to, and just even saying, and, and Kevin Pollock is somebody who you've introduced me to, and he starts his, his podcast sort of at, at harassing his audience. Yeah. Like, why aren't you writing in? In you a funny what? way. In a funny way. And, but, uh, and I think presenting the, hey, part of his. Uh, need or part of what he likes doing is is getting feedback, hearing back from the people. I'm not paying him any money for what he produces. I speed through his commercials uh, when I'm when I'm listening, um, and uh, but I could probably write in and say I really like what you've been doing, you know. And and he would, I don't know. I, I yeah, that would put a little bit more into it than that. But uh, just the thought of like, well, what should I put in besides that, you know, has prevented me from from bothering to do so. As far as I'm concerned, that like that's enough. Just like, hey, I, just so you know, I've I've been listening for this amount of time, and uh, I I enjoy what you do, and and you know, thanks. How about uh, or twenty bucks? Compare that to twenty <laughs> bucks. Like which? I don't I don't think that's going to work. Twenty bucks worth of booze? No, no. Like, that's just, happened. Just a simple, that's happened. Just a simple thing. And and also, and this is uh, uh, there have been a couple of times over the years where people have written in and shared um, tough times that they've gone through. And saying, you know, um, you know, listening to Motley Fool podcasts was the one normal part of my day when you know I had a family member who was ill, or you know, I remember a guy in California one time who was going through a divorce, yeah. and he was just, you know, just saying, you know, this is the one sort of time I can just um, get through the day and not really think about my problems or you know that sort of thing, and just focus on something else. So. Yeah, the Which last thing I wanted was for you to get all serious on us. I see you shouldn't ask that question. Well, that's why you're so much less inappropriate than the asking Bro Camp. Uh, what's your relationship with God these days, anyway? <laughs> and after that, let's what, are talk, you, let's, what are your thoughts on celibacy? <laughs> and after that, let's talk about private conversations you have with your wife. <laughs> um, we did. We did actually get a question. Speaking of uh, uh, the dozens of listeners, uh, Aaron Markwell in Sunset Hills, Missouri. Um, who asked in terms of the holidays, um, what are your favorite bourbon gifts to give or receive? So I, I'll answer that question in a second, but I want to sort of broaden this. Um, and this, this, I, I slightly hesitate to do this because this this does have a, a somewhat of a business angle to it, and I don't want to get too into business. But, but I was thinking about this question and thinking, boy, this really must be a good time of year for the alcohol industry. Because oh, yeah. between just gifts in general and parties, going to holiday parties, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the no-brainer gift if you're going to a holiday party and you want to like bring is just it's a bottle of wine, and so, I mean that's my go-to. But what, are, am I alone in this? No, I think that's usually the go-to. Diana, uh, my wife, brings flowers a lot of the time, and depending on the occasion, and my. Personal uh, feeling that is like now you're making people do work, you know. Like, like, yes, the flowers are nice, but now are they, they cut yeah. flowers or is it a plant? No, that I have to <laughs> it's usually a, like a rhododendron bush or something, something <laughs> unwieldy. 
Here, holiday? I'd like you to plant this. <laughs> is this, is this I brought holiday? you an oak. <laughs> is this the holidays? This is going to take 20 years of your time to care for. No, no, no. It's just uh, when uh, cut flowers, cut flowers. Okay. That don't require that much work. Put them in a vase. Uh, find, uh, find that. Um, but I think you don't have to find anything. If somebody hands you a bottle of wine, you choices are to put it down or, or, or open it, uh, either of which usually work. And you? Uh, well, as the person who doesn't drink, I usually, uh, and I don't get invited to parties, so it's really not an issue. But, <laughs> no, you know, all right, so, so truth be told, people bring us bottles of wine, but we don't drink, so we keep them around so that we can give them to other That's people. That's a good move. When yeah. we go to the, that, is, that is a savvy move. They just, sit around, they just sit around looking whiny. So we bring in other people. No, I think that's a well, and I think you've. I think some of the most popular articles that you've written over the years. I, I, I maybe I'm misremembering this, but my memory is that one of the most popular articles you've ever written was about regifting. Uh, no, I've I've written a lot. Yeah, I don't know that I. No, okay, that was another. Else. That was another broken. I like to think that you get a little bit behind on the parties, and you've got. You know the bottles of wine stacking up, and you get invited somewhere, and you grab like four or five of them. You know, oh yeah, you got like yeah. here. Okay, so I brought five like bottles you. of wine, and they're like, "Wow, he's generous." Um, so I've I've never really written for the Motley Fool. Thank God uh, for everyone involved on that one. Uh, but both of you have, and obviously Robert, you're you you do more of it. Um, I know I'm not mis. No, you know now that you say this, I have I have written about it. It was not like one of my most okay. popular articles, but I but years ago, yes, I, I do remember it. what was, if not one of your most popular articles, certainly one of your most memorable articles. In part because of an email that you got in response to it, and your response uh, back to that person had to do with. Um, I think the the title of the article was "I Eat My Children's Leftovers." Yes, no, I eat my children's scraps. Yeah, that was it. It was basically about <laughs> your kids are young, and, your kids... and, and by the way, every I think pretty much every parent goes through this. Right. When you have young children and right. they're eating half of their dinner, it's like oh, okay. I'll well, just... I got to a point where I didn't order full meals at restaurants because I I just knew they wouldn't eat everything. So I would. That's where it came from. I was just like, I can't stand leftovers and I can't stand waste. So I would just. My my personal meal planning was about what I knew my kids would probably leave over. Yeah, that was that was a while ago. Yeah. But um, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But you you, you got, and got it was it was a delightful article. It was a, a here's a way to save money, but in a humorous and delightful way. Yeah, and surprisingly to me anyway, you got a pretty nasty response. I did well. I got some woman who accused us quote unquote breeders of ruining the environment. With all our our diapers that go into the landfill, ruining her nights out because our kids are you know kids are screaming when she's trying to have a nice meal, and we're horrible. And she signed it. I think her name was Sharon. It's something like Sharon, childless by choice. So I sent a reply saying, "Send me a picture, and I'll let you know if you're childless by choice." <laughs> Which to me is the greatest response ever. Uh, some people think it was too mean, and you know we at the fool generally try not to do stuff like that. But I, so, it was so obnoxious. So I had a, just a throwaway uh, line um, about a mime in one of our, my articles a long time ago, and. Um, because I'm thinking like the mimes are one of the few groups you can just attack and nobody will actually defend. They won't anymore. say anything. Yeah, but I got a long email from a mime about uh, you know his the offense that he had taken at this line and uh, and and it sort of went into I think a common folder like all you know full news or something like that and I think my. It was long, and my response was that he was pretty wordy for a mime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let's talk music for a second, um, and uh, I want to bring in our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, because uh, we've been doing this for a couple of years, playing holiday music, and we'll and we'll we'll. I mean, because this episode uh, drops on December first, uh, we are we are going to put some music at the end of this. That's uh, and for those, uh, and we've gotten a bunch of new listeners. Uh, this calendar year, so they may not know that this is what we've done for the last couple of years. It's it's Dan Boyd's and my crusade to share with the world 
all of the great holiday music. So be, much good music beyond what you hear on the radio when stations. Fl- and I and as someone who's who is in the radio industry uh, and studies the radio industry, I totally get why stations do it. It is an it is a guaranteed moneymaker for stations that flip to an all holiday format. Mm-hmm. Like their ad rates go up. I get it, but. For crying out loud, there's more than just those basic 50 songs that you keep playing over and over and over. Um, for anyone who's seen the movie Fred Claus, which I think is an underrated uh, Christmas movie, where Vince Vaughn is Santa Claus's older brother, Fred, and there's a scene where in Santa's workshop, an elf played by Ludacris um, is is playing music uh, to inspire the workers, and it's just. Santa Claus is coming to town, and it's over and over and over, and eventually Vince Vaughn loses his mind and, and puts on some Elvis. But um, uh, Dan, I know I look forward to this every year. Now that we've been doing this, I, I get the sense that you do as well. I do. It gives me the opportunity to flex a little bit of a creative muscle as far as the show goes, which I rarely get to do. Do you have songs that you've? Are, I mean, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I mean, we've we've got the song for this episode. Are you already thinking about next week and thinking about tunes that we haven't played before that we could play this month? I certainly am. Uh, you were nice enough to forward me some lists of songs that we've already played the past couple of years, and I've been going through those and remembering a few uh, few ones that I liked particularly well, and trying to go into that vein and see what I can find, you know, on YouTube that matches uh, what was going on with those. So the two most surprising songs uh, that Dan brought to the table. And I think both were last year. Uh, no doubt, with Gwen Stefani. Oi to the world. Oi to the world. Yep. Which I, which is fantastic. Yep. And um, Twisted Sister. A great album. So come all ye faithful. The I, version of Come All Ye Faithful. Awesome. That was uh, it's a so, fantastic song. It's, yeah. And and Dan, it's a whole album, right? It's a whole yes. album of Twisted. It's Twisted. Sister. It's called Twisted Christmas. And they have videos. Look at the videos. Hard it's rock, man. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, by the way, for those of you on the Spotify's, you can find my playlist, 10 hours of my favorite Christmas music. It's called Bro Ho Ho, and it's public. Look it up. So this Might have to pull a few you from know, that one, then. Yeah. So, um, and I think the last time, Bill, you were on Market Fullery, you referenced this. We, like, we didn't tell people until, like, they started listening to this episode that you were coming on. We basically just teased out like we got we got someone coming. We were excited for the bonus, um, and uh, Bill was really building you up and just saying he's he's an all star, knows everything about the holidays. You know, which led one of our longtime listeners and members, Tobin Anthony, to to tweet out. I heard what Bill Barker said, and I figured out that the bonus episode special guest is going to be Santa Claus. Which is, <laughs> but but you've been doing you've been do, well, like what Dan and I have been doing just for the last three years. You've right. been doing for twenty years, right? Yeah, I started when I was a teacher in like the early nineties. I gave I made a, a tape and I gave it out to my colleagues and friends and relatives instead of Christmas cards. And then I've I've been doing it every year except for the last few years because it's first of all I've been doing it so long I've kind of run out of new music to put on any compilation. And the last time I, last two years, it was like 2013, 2014, I, I would give out the CDs and people are t- starting to say, like, I don't have a CD player. So that's why I just threw it all on Spotify. I'm like, you don't need it. <laughs> I did it originally because you, as you said earlier, on radio, they just played the same songs. And back in the 90s, there wasn't Spotify and all that stuff. So you're kind of stuck with that unless you bought like the Bing Crosby album or the Nat King Cole album, which are great. But not a good collection of alternative stuff. You couldn't get alternative Christmas music unless I gave it to you. Right. Right. What was the response from people? People loved it. But people like that, that first batch of teachers. They loved it. They loved it. And I did it for the first time at the Fool in 1999, and it was a tape that first year. But yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a small group of people who just love Christmas music, like us. Are you on that list or no? Like what, what, I used to get the uh, bro, bro ho ho. I think that was also one of the yes. titles for one of the CDs. Yeah, it would come up with different day. names. Yeah. Uh, so they're still somewhere. They're still with all my CDs somewhere, yeah. right? Wherever my CDs <laughs> exactly. live. That's the problem, right? I, and I don't know. Like yeah. I could find them if, but I, and then I would have to find the thing that plays CDs and yeah. You know. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. I, yeah, I just love Christmas. I have a daughter Noel for. For uh, obvious reasons, I just love Christmas. I think the 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 thing you're talking about that plays CDs. I think it's called a CD player. 
is it? <laughs> like, can you get them on it looks, eBay? It, lo- it, it often looks like a cup holder, but it's not a cup holder. There's a good chance there's one in your car. There, it, there may be one in my car, yeah. or there may not be. Like I, I don't actually know because my car is two years old, and so it, there's probably something in there that that'll play CDs, but I've never tried it. You, you've had a car for two years, and you don't know whether or not there's a CD player in it. Did you bring this level of, of observation <laughs> to your work as a lawyer? I don't know where my CDs are. <laughs> so I got one more question. Oh, okay. Uh, we went I, because you looked like you were about to wrap up. I was about to wrap up, and we've, we've, we've going to go into people who need the studio after in, us. In the last uh, episode that I appeared on, it was pre-Thanksgiving and your favorite holiday, and we agreed that our favorite food was stuffing, and you went into the year. Uh, where there was not enough stuffing right. uh, at Thanksgiving. And um, I guess either you could review it or we could play that clip. But what I'd like and I, what I'm willing to offer from Molly Full Asset Management uh, is, is a prize uh, for anybody that comes up with the best artistic interpretation of Chris Hill, the year there wasn't enough stuffing. <laughs> and it could be, it could be a, a, a GIF. Or a, a, a drawing, a meme, or a Photoshop. Uh, you know, there was the time when we we asked the listeners uh, for something. Uh, we didn't even Wilford ask for Brimley. We uh, just said, "Oh, if somebody s- could come up, someone with... might come up with this." And within eight hours, we were talking about Wilford Brimley and Tom Cruise. And uh, not to bore everyone, but to make a, just a cut to the chase, um, I made the point that uh, Tom Cruise was hanging off the side of a, a plane in the most recent Mission Impossible movie, and I don't think Wilford Brimley could do that. And within eight hours of that episode dropping, a guy, uh, I think up in Toronto, sent us a Photoshop, which is now the market foolery banner on Twitter because that's how great it is. Um, and there are recent pieces. It's uh, Wilf, yeah, falling out of his pocket. Yeah, we were, I think it we was also something we talked about. Yeah, we were either talking about ET or Halloween candy. So the best representation you're offering this up for people to email to marketfoolery at fool.com. It can be a drawing, a GIF, a meme. They could put it up on Twitter. Uh, I they guess could, you could tweet you know, us. You could, they could share it with the world at Facebook. Yep. Uh, send it directly to you. Um, and, and you and the. I, it just should be public, don't you think? Well, I mean, maybe they're not on the Twitter. Maybe then I don't want to force people. Right. They're, they're, if they're proud of their work, then they can they can publicize it, or you might publicize it for them if you send it into you. In in the same way that Robert it, broke. By camp. the way, this needs to be um, PG thirteen or or safer. Yeah. No R rated submissions. No R rated of, of the interpretation. There's no really no gunplay. There's no violence. Pot, mild uh, cussing. Possibly, possibly in this this meme, but in but, this, in but I think we need to play the clip, or you need to talk about just off the cuff, <laughs> the year that you showed up at Thanksgiving ready for some stuffing, and and yet uh, just, again uh, this year at my family's Thanksgiving there were forty two people, and Holy so shaving uh, cream, yeah, so um, and there you know it's been that size for for years now, and so I was if not the last person in line, one of the last people in line, and I love stuffing, and for whatever reason. There wasn't enough stuffing, so there was n- there was zero stuffing. So I was uh, I don't I don't recall gunplay or profanity, but I was uh, damn boy just shaking his head. Um, <laughs> I would have left because <laughs> <laughs> it's your favorite. Your, I was disappointed. Favorite part. I was very disappointed. The whole, the whole Thanksgiving, right? Um, yeah, I was just gonna say in terms. And of, then you talked about it, yeah. like uh, I was maybe like, really? maybe maybe some more stuffing next year, kids. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say. Ten months into the, you know, after that, when the email started going around about like, hey, it's that time again, let's plan for you. I, I very pointedly said, Who, who's in charge of stuffing? Because <laughs> whatever happened last year, there was not enough. So let's let's double up on that. Um, no, I was going to say in the same way that Robert Brokamp, from a career standpoint, was hedging his bets with the priesthood, being a medical doctor and being a literature professor. Uh, I want to give that same level of optionality to people when they're submitting stuff. So you can email us marketfooleryfool.com. You can tweet at marketfoolery, post it in the Facebook group, um, and apparently, as I understand it, you and the Motley Fool Asset Management team are going to pick the winner and come up with a prize. Oh, I said I'd come up with the prize. <laughs> you could have your intern work on this. <laughs> I, 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 I never had an intern, which is exactly how I like it. I think we're done here. We're done. Once again, here's to you. Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night. 
The season's upon us, it's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog, there's plenty of cheer. There's lights on the trees and there's wreaths to be hung. There's mischief and mayhem and songs to be sung. There's bells and there's holly, the kids are gung-ho. True love finds a kiss beneath fresh mistletoe. Some families are messed up while others are fine. If you think yours is crazy, well, you should see mine. My sisters are whack jobs, I wish I Snowballs. I'd like to take them out back and deck them more than the hall. 